So we live in a culture where conversations um, don't happen as much as they used to. Uh, everybody has their smartphone on them, and we prefer text. Uh, we prefer different modes of communication. But if we're truly going to get to know people, and if we're truly going to get to their heart, we have to be willing to have conversations. And I think as people, I think all of us are pretty good. Did you say that again? And even Siri wants to talk to me. But I think as people, we're really good at avoiding deep conversation. Uh, I think deep conversations can scare us a little bit. We don't want to put ourselves out there, and we don't want to bear the burden when other people put themselves out there. So I don't know if this is true in New York, but it's true in the Bible Belt South, is everybody comes to church and they have their mask on, right? No matter what is going on in their life, and you ask them how they're doing, what are they going to say? Doing fine. How you doing, brother? Hanging in there. Right? And you can go a whole church service, a whole Sunday school period, and avoid deep conversation. But if we're thinking through genuine care, and if we're thinking through how we can listen and, and really absorb what people are saying, we have to be able to have good conversations. So it's going to cause us to step out of our comfort zone. Uh, it's going to make us uh, feel uncomfortable. But when you think through showing care, the best way to do that is through good conversation. So you see some uh, examples here in your book. So like, what do you do when you're in the parking lot and, and somebody starts sharing a deep concern with you? Like some of you might hear that and go, ooh, that's nervous like just trying to come to church or trying to leave? What about if a married couple approaches you after church and asks you to pray for them as they're having difficulty with their teenage son? Like, what do you say in a situation like that? What do you do if you find out someone from your Sunday school class is in the hospital and you want them uh, to feel encouraged and you want to be the one to encourage them? What does that phone conversation sound like? So we saw in session one that the whole body is called to minister to the body, but let's look at Ephesians 4.15 and kind of let this text launch us into what we're going to talk about today. And we're just going to look at verse 15, and then again, we're going to bounce around in the Bible as we, as we talk today. But Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So how we talk to people is as important, if not more important, than the things we say. Um, how we say something can completely undermine what we're trying to say. And here's two formulas for us to think about. You see it there in your book. If you just speak the truth, but you don't have love, you're harsh. So imagine me being at home and my wife coming to me and telling me she's having a bad day. And I say, babe, God has given us so much good things. You just need to get over it and move on. Well, has God given us good things? Was I loving in what I said? Am I likely going to sleep on the couch? Yes. So simply saying true things minus love is going to make you seem harsh. Now, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is struggling. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is hurting. If you have a perception of being harsh, 
is that person going to want to come and talk to you? No. And if that person doesn't want to talk to you, are you going to be able to show them the genuine care you wish to show them? No. So if we speak the truth, but we do it with no love, we're harsh. But the second thing you see there, if all we have is love and we don't have truth, we're weak. So imagine somebody is coming to you and they're struggling with something that clearly is a sin. They're struggling with something that God clearly hates. And you say, I love you. It's going to be okay. Have we loved that person well? No. Are we going to show them genuine care if we let them keep moving on in the sin that they know they shouldn't do? No. So the scripture tells us that we are supposed to speak the truth, but do so in a loving way. And this applies to all areas of our life, right? When we're sharing the gospel, like we speak the truth in love. And, you know, when you, when you think about everything that's happening in our culture right now, especially with um, all this stuff with abortion and LGBTQ, what's the first thing they say about Christians? They're hateful, right? But we have to figure out how do we communicate truth? How do we stand on the convictions we have? And how do we do that in a way that communicates love for the person we are talking to. Whether we're harsh or weak, nothing is going to turn people off more or quicker than those two things. And if we want to communicate genuine care, we have to figure out how do we engage these people in conversations in such a way that they can give us information and then we can tell them what the Bible says to help them. So a couple of things I want us to remember. Jump over to Romans chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 33 33 through 36. So Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36. And you see there also Romans 8, 28 is listed. And, And that verse is common and familiar to us all. We know that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But listen to Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So a couple things we can consider with that, right? First, Like the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God is far beyond our ability to comprehend. Like God has plans that we will never understand. And then you look at verse 36 and it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things that are good. Is that what it says? For from him and through him and to him are all things that are easy. Is that what it says? No, it says for from him and through him and to him are all things. So we can trust that our God, the God that created us, the God that loved us, and the God that sent Christ to die for us, is sovereign. And nothing happens outside of his control or attention. So when you're being asked to handle something somebody is struggling with, or when you're being asked to handle a situation that seems hard and heavy, it's not catching God off guard. Right? God is sovereign, and God is in control, and he knows exactly what you're going through, and he's going to supply what you need to get by. So some of you might say, you see point B there, 
you might say, I, I don't know what to do, or I can't handle it. Like somebody may bring something to you, and you're like, I, I don't know how to handle this. Or you may be in a situation, and you're like, I, I can't handle it. And, and that's good. That's a good place to be, right? In the moments when you feel most confused, in the moments when you feel most hurt, those are the moments that you're going to trust in God all the more. Go to Psalm 28, verses 7 and 8. Or you can just listen to it. So Psalm 28, verses 7 and 8. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. The Lord is my strength and my shield. When you are weak, he is your strength. When you need protection, he is your shield. And you see Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. And God will give you a way out. 2 Corinthians 12.9, when Paul is pleading with God to take the thorn in the flesh away. And what does is, what is the Lord tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. And then you see point C, God has designed the church and the leaders to equip the saints for the work of service. When the saints are operating as they're supposed to, and when they're ministering to the needs of others in the church, then we're a much stronger church. So how do we have good conversations? For us to have good conversations, we have to have a plan. And for us to have good conversations, here's, here's I, want, I want us to consider four words. I gave you four words yesterday, too, God, man, Christ, response. They're going to be different today. So the four words we need to know if we're going to have good conversation, the, the four words are love, know, speak, and do. So love, know, speak, and do. So the, the first way that we're going to show genuine care is that we must love other people. I would argue that you truly cannot show genuine care if you don't have a love for other people. If people get on your nerves, or if you can't stand people, or if your goal is to go through life and talk to as few people as possible, you're going to struggle to show genuine care. We saw yesterday when we were thinking about the Great Commission, Jesus Christ was motivated by love, and it drew him to people. So if we're going to have deep loving, helpful relationships, we have to love other people. And we're doing this by following Christ's example. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. If you want to turn there, we're going to read a few verses. So 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. So Paul is, is describing his ministry to the Thessalonians. And he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how like a father was with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So you see the two descriptions Paul is giving is like a father with his children and like a nursing mother with her baby. We are to be driven by love. And we see in Galatians 6 that relationship in the church is the context for genuine care. So we are to enter the person's world. We are, we are to bring ourselves into what they're going through so that we can better understand And we want to send a message that says, I am listening. And it's really important that we consider our tone, right? So I've been married almost 12 years. 95% of the time I get in trouble, it's my tone. I I care what she's saying, I listen, and I give a frustrated response. When you're listening and showing genuine care, you need to love the person enough to be willing to listen to them and communicate that in how you speak to them. Like, imagine my son came to me, and he's a messy kid. I say he takes after his mom, but he takes after me. So let's say he comes to me, and we just moved into this brand new house, and he spilt milk in the kitchen. And it's like the fifth or sixth time he did it. And imagine he comes to me, and he's like, Daddy, I'm so sorry I spilt the milk. I'm like, it's okay. What would that communicate to my child? Or what if my wife comes to me and is having an issue at work and she's telling me the story about what's going on in words I don't understand because she's in IT and project management. What if she comes to me and she's like telling me the stuff that's really bothering her and I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, sounds good. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that communicating love and care? So you want to make sure that you love these people enough that you have a good tone with them and that you communicate with them. Paul gives us a good example to consider others more than ourselves in Philippians 2. In a way we can do that is when somebody is sharing something with you, when somebody is sharing a hurt or a concern or a struggle, you can ask yourself the question, what would it be like if I was in their shoes? Like, how would I want to be treated if I were that person sharing a burden on their heart? And I think something that's really important to consider in that is imagine how much courage and how much prayer it probably took for them to even come and tell you what was going on. They had internal dialogues, they were wrestling with themselves, and they finally worked up the courage to come and tell you what was going on, and we could easily crush what they were going through. So we want to build bridges into his or her life. So you find ways to connect. You listen for commonalities within your own life. This is really big, especially when you're doing formal counseling. 
Like you spend your first session getting to know that person, and you're just looking for something that you can connect with. Because when you can connect with them, it helps them feel like you care and understand who they are and what they're going through. And understand the importance of the words, I'm so sorry. Sometimes we, we get the, the notion that we want to just fix everything for everybody. And they come and they tell us something and we tell them, well, you just need to do this, 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 and this. And what we need to do is just, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Like, I know that hurts, and I love you, and I'm going to help you through it. So the first thing we do, if we're going to have genuine care, is we need to love others. The second thing we do to show genuine care is that we have to know what is happening. Jump over to Proverbs 18. We're going to look at a smattering of Proverbs here. But if we're truly going to show genuine care, and if we're truly going to be able to help people, like, we have to understand what, what is going on in their lives. So listen, you see the Proverbs there. So starting in verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. I feel like I can say that to the husbands. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Go to verse 15. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Jump to verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And then jump to 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So if we're going to truly know and understand what is going on in a person's life, We've already established that we love them and care for them. If we are going to give genuine care, we have to know what is going on. And the way we do that is by asking good questions. There are such things as good questions, and there are such things as bad questions. Like my son, the other day, we were driving to church, and he said, Hey, Dad, who's that? And I said, I don't know. I've never seen that person before. And he goes, Why? And I'm like, I don't even know how to answer that. It's not a wonderful question. So we want to make sure we ask good questions. I'm going to jump to the second bullet point first. So the way we can ask good questions is that we ask open-ended questions versus closed-ended questions, and we do it in a way that is loving. So we want to ask who, what, when, where, why, and how. So if you're, if you're dealing with somebody and they come to you and they tell you that they're hurting and you say, that's not much fun, is it? What are they probably going to say? Nope. Well, did you get much information? But if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm really hurting, and you say, well, why are you hurting? Well, it forces them to answer a little bit deeper, right? It forces them to give you a little bit more information. And you want to make sure you don't commit a suicide. So you want to make sure you get all the facts. So a suicide is if you come into a situation assuming you already know what they're going through, assuming you already know what they are going to say, and then your line of question becomes less like a counselor and friend and more like a lawyer trying to prove your point right, you've committed a suicide. So when I first started counseling, I was really bad at this. Like, I felt like I had the guy pinned, 
and like I asked so many questions and painted this guy into a corner and my supervisor was like, you did a good job, lawyer. And I'm like, oh shoot, didn't do what I was supposed to. So here are some key questions we can ask. So what is going on? What happened? And let them start telling you the story. And as they ask you, or as they tell you parts of the story, you're thinking about things in your mind that you can follow up on or ask more detail on. Ask them what they were thinking or ask what goes through their mind regularly. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the, the word of God pierces and it, and it gets to the inner thoughts of what is happening. So ask them when you're, when you're alone, when you're driving home and nobody's in the car with you. Like, what are you thinking about in regards to your struggle? Ask them about what they do when they feel the pressure. Ask them what their solutions are. How do you seek to resolve the issue? So what we're looking for, and if you jump over to Luke 6, we're, we're asking questions to understand what is going on, but we're also asking questions so that we can better understand the root that is happening in their heart. Pastor Austin explained to us the three trees diagram. It's easy to focus on what is happening on the outer surface. It's harder to get through what is happening in the heart. So Luke 6, 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is happening on the outside is a picture of what is going on on the inside. Uh, a year or so ago, my grandmother decided she was paying too much at the grocery store for lemons, and she was going to plant herself a lemon tree. Um, I never in my whole life have seen her use lemons, so I didn't know she was even buying lemons at, that, at such a rate that she had to buy a lemon tree. Well, she planted this tree, and she worked on it for a year and got precisely no lemons. All that work, all that effort, but we found out that she did not dig the tree deep enough. The tree was not able to take root, so it did not bear fruit. When we are talking to people, we need to understand what is happening in their heart. If they are producing bad fruit, then there's a bad root in their heart. And we need to figure out what it is that is causing that. Y'all worked on the, the 12 question, or the heart questions. Those are designed to draw out what is in our heart. Right? So if I come and I'm suffering from anxiousness... We ask questions to figure out what is happening in my heart to cause that anxiousness. So we ask good questions. We figure out what the root is. It's always good to know when people are struggling, ask them what they wanted. What did you not want? So what did you want that you didn't get? What did you not want that you did get? Like what was your goal? What did you desire? And you remember we said a lot of these words that we're asking questions to were the same words that the Bible uses to describe sin. So what was your out-of-whack desire that you wanted to feed that you couldn't get? And what was the goal, or what was your result? What are you getting? So remember, sowing and reaping. So at times, you're going to ask questions to get a big picture. So you want the 30,000-foot view, but then sometimes you're going to zero in on a certain thing that they say. 
and you can use questions to get there. So what is our primary target when we're asking questions? It's the heart, right? So uh, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. The heart is so important. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, we saw that yesterday. Our hearts are desperately sick and desperately wicked. We need to understand what is happening. So we want to figure out what is this person living for? What are the root desires that are driving the bad fruit in their responses to suffering? So we show them love and then we use specific good questions in order to, to get to know them. And let me tell you something. You're going to struggle in the beginning with asking good questions. It's hard to go a whole conversation and not ask closed-ended questions. Like, it's just uncomfortable. When you don't know what to say, you're just going to ask something that's easy to answer. But you want to fight that urge to ask closed-ended questions and ask good, open-ended questions meant to draw out, as the Proverbs say, what is in the heart. So we love others. We show genuine care by getting to know them and know what is happening. And then we show genuine care by speaking God's truth. Excuse me. So we seek opportunities, as we read earlier, to speak the truth in love. So when somebody is suffering, when somebody is hurting, the authority that we're seeking to give them is God's authority, not our own thoughts, opinions, theories, scientific studies. So we live in a world that is full of theories, full of um, concepts that can help people understand why they are the way that they are. But we have truth in a world of theory. Back when I was growing up, everybody read their horoscopes, right? But we have truth in a world of theory. Uh, the big thing now is the Enneagram. Everybody says, well, I, I know I shouldn't have acted that way in that situation, but I'm just a 4W5. Exactly. Makes no sense. So we have truth in a world of theory. Go to Psalm 19, and let's look at verses 7 to 11. So we're looking at opportunities to speak God's word into what the people are going through, whether it's a sin, a struggle, or, or a, a pain. So Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them it, there is great reward. And that is what we are looking to do. We show genuine care by taking people who are hurting, taking people who are suffering, taking sinners to the word of God and letting the truth of God's word and the authority of God's word speak to their lives. Listen to Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So 
if you're seeking to help people, if you're seeking to show genuine care, if you want to be wise in how you help people, the best thing you can do is look for opportunities to speak the word of God into people's lives. And it's easy to give your own opinions, right? If somebody comes to you and they're having relationship conflict, it's, it's easy for you to just say, well, maybe if you just tried to do it, and you say, no, I need to teach you what God's word says. I need to teach you how to die to yourself and be selfless, right? So we want to get rid of theories. We want to get rid of what the world gives us, and we want to go to something that is better and can lead to lasting change. That is God's word. And as you're listening to people, and showing genuine care requires a lot of listening, doesn't it? But as you're listening, and as they tell you what's going on in their lives, as they tell you sins they're struggling with, as they tell you pains they're having, you need to be thinking to yourself, where does this fit biblically? Ask yourselves, what passages deal with this? Think through what biblical categories it fits in so that you can use those passages to speak truth to them. A lot of times when people are suffering and people are hurting, they're hopeless. Think through where in God's word that you can find hope. But as you're listening, you want to be thinking, how can I address what this person is telling me in a biblically faithful way? And when it's time, you speak the words necessary for the occasion. Listen to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So you need to ask yourself, what kind of person am I dealing with? Am I dealing with a sinner who is suffering because of their own sin? Or am I dealing with somebody who is suffering from, because of somebody else's sin? Is this person sinning because of his or her suffering? Is there a combination of the, the, the two? So it's important to understand where they are and then speak the words that they need to hear. And then the best thing we can do is give hope to people who are living in a hopeless world and are in hopeless situations. Uh, the word of God is filled with hope. Secular systems and care systems have nothing on the hope that we can give others from the Bible. I love thinking about the Psalms. Most of the Psalms, well, all the Psalms are beautifully written. Most of them were written in times of struggle, in times of pain, in times of hurt, in times of relationship conflict. And he was able to write words that were so full of hope. And we think through Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. That doesn't mean they're not going to hurt. That doesn't mean they're not going to be confusing. But what we can do is we can have faith and trust that God is going to work those out to fulfill his purposes. People won't have the motivation to change until they can have hope. And I mentioned this earlier, uh, when people come and share with you pains they have, there's a lot that led up to that moment. And likely this person has spent tons of time in despair 
and in discouragement because of what they're going through. They are just looking for hope. And it is loving of us, it is kind of us, and it is right of us to give them hope. And remember, please remind them that something good is going on in this brother or sister's life. The Lord is going to work it out together. So there's some passages there you see uh, that are great passages of hope. Let's look at one together. Go to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. So we want to give people hope. This is what Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So who is this passage talking about? It's talking about Jesus. And Jesus has come to do several things. He has come to bring good news to the poor. So when you're dealing with people who are hurting, when you're dealing with people who are uh, suffering, we can tell them that, that Jesus has come to bring good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. When people are suffering and they're hurting, they can relate to that phrase, brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to comfort all who mourn. The scriptures are full of verses that offer hope. And we need to be loving enough to take our people who are hurting and confused and suffering to the word of God so that they can truly have that balm for their soul that they're so desperate for. And oftentimes, you're going to talk to people who have tried several other methods. Like, odds are they have gone to other counselors. Odds are they have talked to other people. They have tried to read books. But they all fail, ultimately. We need to take them to the hope of God's word. Uh, I mentioned to you yesterday uh, my brother who is struggling, um, who is in the LGBTQ community, And I'm convinced that the reason he is involving himself in that community is because he's hurting and hopeless. And what he's going to find out is when he goes into that community, it might feel good for a minute. It might even feel good for a year or two. But ultimately, it's going to come up empty and it's going to come up void. The only thing that can offer him hope and peace is the word of God. And what we're after is salvation. We need to be asking our question, is there fruit? We need to be asking ourselves, is this person living out the Christian life? Or are they living for themselves? And then we speak the gospel to them. Go to Romans 8. We're going to close with this. So I told you it's love, know, speak, and do. So the do portion is going to come in the next session with Pastor Austin. But anytime we're talking to people, um, you want to give them something that they can work on throughout the week. Um, If the people, let's say you see them on Sunday morning and you maybe see them on Tuesday night, 
and that's the only time you interact with them. You want to give them something where they're putting the word of God in their soul and they're working on what they're struggling with throughout the week. And Austin's going to talk to us about giving good homework. But let's read Romans eight twenty eight and 29. Let's actually start in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait, for, wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is at work. We live in a culture that is hurt, that is lost, that is hopeless. And God is, is working it all out according to his sovereign plan. And I love the quote that is listed here from Johnny Erickson Tata. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Every single day we are being conformed to the image of God. And God uses suffering God uses difficulty, God uses pain to draw us to himself and to make us more like his son. And when we are dealing with people who are hurt and when we are dealing with people who are struggling, we need to show genuine care by loving them enough to care, by knowing what is going on, and by speaking the truth of the word of God into their lives. Let me pray for you uh, as we consider what God has for us. And then Austin's going to come. Austin, are we taking a break first? All right. So after I pray, we'll take a 10-minute break, and then Austin will um, give us our next assignment. Father, we praise you that all things work together for good for those who love you. Lord, we know that we are not promised an easy life. Lord, we know that... We are going to struggle. Lord, we know that the effects of the fall are real. But, Father, we know that you are sovereign. 
And God, we know that you are good, and we know that you are in control. So Father, as we seek to show genuine care to others, God, I pray that our conversations will be so gospel-filled that every time people interact with us, they'll be encouraged to be more like you. Lord, give us wisdom to discern how people are struggling. Give us wisdom to listen. God, give us wisdom to love and care. And Lord, give us the wisdom we need to understand your word, to apply it to what they're going through. And Lord, we love you. God, thank you for this ministry you called us to. Thank you for calling the church to care for the church. And Lord, I pray that as we are equipped, we will have much ministry to encourage those who are hurting. And Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.